And what's up, everybody, and welcome to the TJ Bowser Power Hour. This is your host with the most, TJ Bowser, and joining me today is author Jason Douglas. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. It is clearly and totally my honor and pleasure. Well, thank you for reaching out and sharing your awesome book with us. It was a quite a pleasure to read, not only from myself, but uh, from our podcast, Comics and Kaijus, also read it and reviewed it last week. So uh, I thought this interview was uh, definitely needed. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. So how was your uh, week uh, in this pandemic? Uh, it's pretty crazy right now. Um, actually crazier than it's been for a while. My day job is I'm a public school teacher and the kind of chaos uh, around uh, the inevitable uh, coming back and what that looks like and what that sounds like and and uh, the inherent changes that need to happen have turned my life into, I would say, um, 20 hours of waking ball of anxiety and stress and rearranging things that have kind of been locked down for years, and then four hours of fitful sleep, and then start it all up again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the life of a pandemic teacher? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we got a couple questions for you today uh, about your book yeah. and your little writing career here that's just starting to flourish, clearly. Yes, sir. Uh, yep. So first question, when and how did you know that you wanted to become a writer? So that it, it's kind of strange because um, one of the first things that I discovered as a kid and like got into myself was comics. Um, I didn't have, I didn't have the go-to family member, like the older sibling, the cousin, the weirdo down the street that said, Hey, this is the cool thing. So like the music that I love, the books that I love, um, the authors that I love, the movies that I love, I kind of came to on my own and all of it a little late. And that included comics. I didn't really get into comics until, I don't know, like 12, 13 years old, actually. And, but, but really, really loved them as a kid and always had this idea in the back of my mind that, you know, like there's always been this latent dream of creating something of my own, but that's all it was, right? It was something in the back of my head, kind of itching away back there and never really at the forefront. And um, as much as it kind of lived there for the next couple of decades, uh, I started writing in, and came to this in a roundabout way. So like, as I mentioned at the top, um, public school teacher day job, right? And I'm a, I'm, yeah. I've been doing that for a long time. And uh, when I taught elementary school and then when I taught middle school, one of the things that I kind of did as, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the swim coach, I ran the drama club and like built them you know they weren't there before and because we had zero budget because it was a new thing yeah uh just the, the the kind of blissful overconfidence through ignorance that i had was like well i can't afford to buy one of the plays from like the big publishing company so i guess i'll just write one ah. and um <laughs> and so kind of like cut my teeth on writing skits and then eventually full length like one acts for elementary school and then for um, middle school and we would put them on every year and a couple got published, like picked up by big publishing companies and they're out there in the world and have been performed in like other states and in local theaters and, and uh, schools and, and the like. And so it was something that I was doing. Right. And in the, the, the same kind of like misplaced confidence out of lack of frame of reference that led me to say, oh, yeah, I, I'll just start writing plays. 
um, one summer when I would usually write the new play uh, through a kind of a, a confluence of, of a few uh, things that we can talk about at the origin of the book, I just decided this summer I'm writing a comic, right? Because it's yep. always been the dream in the back of the head. And, and the funniest part of it is, had I known how, uh, how different, like, because it's a vastly different animal, like writing a comic script is, is like no other kind of writing. And it was like my kind of blissful, like, well, I can write a play, you know, it's like muscle memory to me now, I will just write a comic because if you yeah. just do it. And then, and, and that summer, I mean, I did, yeah. but honestly, I'm telling you right now, had I known uh, how difficult it would be, how different it was, how many pitfalls there could be along the way, how work intensive it ended up being, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't scare me off in the same way that it stayed like this latent, un, unfulfilled dream in the back of my head for a couple of decades. Uh, it, it was literally only my lack of frame of reference to know what it was to write a comic script that allowed me the confidence to actually do it. You know, the ignorance of confidence. It was, it's kind of strange, but I came around it that back way. Um, it was always the dream, but it was the, the unplanned success and chops that I got from playwriting that allowed me to take that step a couple of summers ago. Okay, and so you mentioned that summer. So what motivated you that summer to make this comic and where did the story derive from? So there's kind of like there's kind of like three things that that came together and, and squished together and then uh, the third one is the catalyst that kind of lit the fire and 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 made me literally type the keys, okay? Yep. So if you've read the book, you know that um the underlying themes of the entire story is that existential angst of dreams deferred, right? Um, that existential angst that can lead to, you know, you deal with that in your own way, whether that is, whether that is a funk, whether that is depression, whether that is a rut that you're in, um, however that manifests in your life. But that idea that so many people go through, some people call it a midlife crisis. There's of course the a much more modern and um, uh, nomenclature of the quarter life crisis where, all these dreams that you have in your late teens, early twenties, that you, it feels like you have forever to accomplish. And then like anybody with a little bit of age on them knows that time goes by in a blink of an eye and you wake up and it's like five years later and you're pushing 30 or in my case, uh, 40. And, and, you know, those dreams have been set aside out of, you know, whatever decisions you made back then, uh, out of mm -hmm. convenience, out of it's always easier to do nothing than something, uh, out of taking that job instead of pursuing your dream because you got to pay the rent, about getting in that relationship instead of this one because it's easier, right? Path of least resistance, whatever your reasoning is. And then time creeps along and suddenly maybe the second chance doesn't even exist anymore. And that's kind of like that, that underlying dread is what is uh, plaguing land in our main character at the beginning of the book. And I've got that too, right? I mean, literally in the story that I just told you about, it's all, you know, creating a comic was always in the back of my head. I mean, that's the core of it right there. And yet time creeps on and I do this and I do that. And, and it's not saying that the decisions I made along the way are bad ones. They're, they just never led to pursuing the dream that had been there for a long time, right? So, you know, I'm like most people in that every year that goes by and I haven't done x y and z mm -hmm. there is that 
anxiety and that slipping away of time uh, th that accompanies that. Now, that's not enough. That was not enough to motivate me to, to do something about it, clearly, or I probably would have pursued this a lot sooner. Well, I'm also a comic lover, and um, the story itself starts to take form in some conversations with a buddy of mine, and, you know, we're, we're pure comic nerds at our core, and so, like, you know, a normal conversation might be about a new Marvel movie, but it might also just as likely be about Ooh, wouldn't it be cool if, right? Mm -hmm. Like the brainstorming of uh, there's a parallel world where there's a version of you uh, who who lived the life that you wish you would have had you made uh, a different choice at point X, right? Mm -hmm. And so like those two things come together. But again, not enough, yeah. right? Like <laughs> like like th th that's that's it's a great conversation, and then you go back inside, all right? You hang up the phone and you go back inside, and there's dishes to do, mm -hmm. right? not a script to write. The third thing that came together a couple of summers ago, um, and I truly believe is a catalyst, is I've been teaching long enough where I have former students who are, who are pushing the age that Landon is in the book, right? Like pushing mm -hmm. 30 and are experiencing are right now at this moment in their quarter life crisis, you know, whatever that means. And it, it's like specific conversations with a bunch of them that I'm still in contact with. I'm thinking of one particular in my head. And I remember I was talking to her and she's saying like, like, here I am at 28. Why am I not in Chicago at the dance studio pursuing my dream? Like I thought I was going to six years ago. Right. Why am I still in this cubicle doing this thing that I have no passion for? Where did all that time go? Like, 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 like these kids call them kids, these young adults who are, verbalizing, you know, a, a, a different point in their life version of what I'm feeling. Uh, and, and, and it was, it was a catalyst and it was like, that's, that's Landon. Boom. I've got to do this now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing it that summer and, and then, and I'll say this, like, like, you know, as much as there's a dozen different things that you need to be aware of when you're writing a comic script, right? Because like I said, it's not like any other kind of writing. There's so much more you've got to think about, whether it's just a logistical structure of what it looks like, you know, how many times you hit and dent to make, uh, to put the new page, to put a, to put a sound effects thing in there. I mean, it's, it's so different. There's that going on. You've got to be aware of, of the story. You've got to be aware of the pacing. You've got to be aware of a pacing in a, different than any other kind of writing because it's, it's like storyboarding too, right? Panel size changes the pacing, number of panels on the page changes the pacing, whether it's a page turn for your next reveal or not, or it's a facing page, you're thinking about all that at once. But one of the main things that I made sure to keep on my brain the whole time was like, how do you write a character experiencing something in isolation for the most part, and yet it's a universal theme? And I think that it's like the great irony of, of that underlying theme in life and in the book, that, that dread that we feel, that anxiety that we feel about time slipping away from us and us not doing the things that we wanted to do and the second chance isn't necessarily there and the dream's deferred, we experience that in isolation. It's, it's, it's our pain, it's our struggle. And yet, ironically, just about everybody else in the universe is going through something similar in their own way at the exact same time, right? So I like, like because that's the nature of, of how people deal with that, I wanted to be aware of that and, and, and make sure that came across in the book. So when you read it, just because your dream deferred isn't music like Landon's is, you can still relate to the idea of, 
remember those dreams that I had? And then I just, I did this thing instead. And now here I am and it's another day further and along and maybe I don't have a shot at it again. Fair enough. How would you best describe Landon to potential readers? So he's, you know, like I kind of said, he's, he's you, right? Yeah. He's me. He's you. Uh, forget race, forget gender, forget it's, 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 it's your most typical human experience. Landon is uh, as specific as a character. He's, you know, pushing 30 um, and in his early 20s had dreams of music, right? In a band, um, ready to go to the next step, all those kind of cliches of, of, of those youthful dreams and hopes. And like so many of us, the adult world comes crashing in and whether it's a relationship or whether it's a job or whether it's the realities of this dream doesn't pay the bills right now. Mm -hmm. And am I willing to, you know, am I willing to set that aside or whatever? And he makes a bunch of choices that lead to years going by. And like so many of us, it's not, it's not a snap of the fingers, right? It might be a, it might be an instant decision, but it's not the atrophy that you feel to your dreams happens so gradually that it, it, it literally becomes this thing where you wake up five, eight years later and go, what happened? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's him. And in his case, it's music. And in his case, it's, it, he, he hits this point pushing 30 where, you know, the funk is so deep, the rut is so deep. Uh, he's just, he's literally slogging through life when there is a bang right? There is a bang, in this case, a, a huge uh, physical trauma that awakens something in his brain. And the ambiguity of the book is, is it happening in his head or is it happening in reality? And this is the, uh, this is where the sci-fi fun comes in, where there's this other Landon who has lived the life that Landon could have lived had he made different choices at that earlier point in his life. And this other Landon is offering our Landon the second chance that most of us don't get or don't believe that yeah. we can have and uh, where it gets dark and where it gets twisted and where it gets a little bit intense um, is that yes, we're Landon's getting glimpses of this other world that is being offered to him. Mm -hmm. uh, Landon is getting tastes of it by actually getting to go there and experiencing like tact, like with a tactile uh, way. Um, but the cost, might be to his severe mental and physical detriment in the here and now. And then how you feel about the decisions he makes, how he feels about the decisions he makes, how the people in his life feel about the decisions he makes really is determined by you as a reader saying, as some of the other characters in the book feel, this is happening in your head, yeah. right? This is, this is something that we need to get fixed. This is mental illness. This is something we need to deal with. Or if it's really happening, is that cost worth it knowing that what it lays beyond for the price that you've got to pay is the thing you've always wanted? And so there's that push and pull and these, these um, one of the things that I wanted to do in the book is build these crescendos, right? And there's these several different spots in the book where it builds and builds and builds up to a decision he's got to make. And there's a boom. And then we come back and we set back to a kind of a, a calmer status quo and it builds and builds and builds. And each crescendo is bigger until you get to his final decision at the end. And then the ending leaves you to decide, uh, you and I kind of talked about this off air ahead of time. Um, what did he do? Yeah. You know, wh where's his stance? And, and how you see the ending of this book uh, 
I found kind of says something about you as a reader, right? Um, there's people who see it as a pretty dark ending. A lot more people see it as a very hopeful ending. Um, it kind of says something about who you are as a reader right now and how you feel about these. So Parallel focuses a lot on an intense story of mental health from a man's perspective. What made you want to touch on something that is such a stigma in today's society? Well, so like I said before, what he's going through you know, outside, outside of the sci-fi aspect of it, what he's going through just at a base level of, of, of a dream deferred and the regret of maybe making certain decisions yeah. um, is pretty, I really think it's pretty universal, okay? Now, what you do with that, you've got all these options. And one of the things I really wanted to portray in the book is as he's struggling trying to decide if he's if he's losing it or if it's really happening and it's just that you know it's, it's an amazing thing but like if if it's real it's real is when you're going through this whatever your version is whether it's landon's um heightened sci-fi version or just the fact that you know another year's gone by and you didn't pull the trigger on starting your podcast mm -hmm. or trying out for that play or taking guitar lessons or whatever it is that that pursuit that you keep on putting whatever your reality is um one of the big things that i wanted to be kind of underneath the whole thing and, and then display it like literally in the book is it's always better to, to reach out to to, to others Yes. about whatever it is that you're going through, right? In Landon's case, you see him trying to deal with it on his own and it doesn't work. And uh, there, there are scenes in the book where he is actually um, dealing with a psychiatrist and in the office and talking it through. And um, actually, l let me say this, the three, like the three main professions in the book, right? You've got your, you've got your doctor uh, and, and the paramedics that precede her. You've got your psychiatrist and then you've got your detective. Those three kind of uh, big time professions, I made sure I vetted those very, very carefully. That was like carefully researched and then actually vetted out to people who are in my life that hold those professions, right? So like my cousin, the doctor, um, helped me with every single one of those lines, right? When you're, when you're doing it, it's a firm belief of mine, when you're doing, whenever you have to suspend your disbelief for, uh, certain aspects of your story, right? Yes. The, the apparition of an, another you coming and offering you a second chance for a, for a high price. Um, make sure the stuff that is real in there is real, yeah. right? What, what I don't want, what I don't want is, is the person who flips on you know, you're on page uh, uh, 28 of parallel and you're like, oh, I'm not buying this anymore because the doctor, <laughs> the doctor said the wrong uh, yeah. kind of medication. So all that is like good. And one of the things about, um, the, 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 the mental health scenes when Landon's literally in the office talking it through is, you know, I wanted her portrayed, um, as, you know, she never, you'll notice she never dismisses uh -huh. what, what he's saying. Like, I mean, he's the one who brings up this idea of, you know, of course, of course, this is crazy. And she's like, no, like, I'm not here to invalidate anything that you're going through we're yeah. here to deal with what you're going through and figure out you know, how to get you into a better spot in your life it's not about saying this is happening or isn't happening 
or what you're saying is crazy. You know, that, that's not what it's about. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to do it that way is because I do truly believe that whatever it is that you're going through, um, it's always better, whether it's professional help or your friend or a family member to like, to bring somebody else in there because like doing it alone, you know, I'm, I, this is me speaking personally. I am, I am a master of bottling it up, right? This is just me speaking personally. I'm a master of taking uh, the, the stress and the anxiety and the worries of the world and just internalizing it and letting it fester away inside of me and just like shut it. You know, I don't need to talk to anybody about it. I'll just, yeah. it's, 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 it's a toxic impulse and it's never good um, as much as that's my instinct. So like, I think one of my goals with this as a story being out in the world is, you know, if, if like one person reads this and goes, yeah, I'm going to talk to somebody. I consider it a win. Absolutely. 100% agree. And I think, you know, you mentioned about going to these people to make it more realistic. And I think yeah. your story being hyper-realistic the way it is allows it to appeal to a lot more people because it validates how real it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's so great. So what's with the references to fourth grade and mathematics? Well, you want to talk about real? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess, I guess I was a fourth grader once, but I also taught fourth grade for 13 years. Okay. And so, so there, there were two things going on there, right? I mean, that was just something there's, there's a simplicity in lines. And, and one of my very earliest ideas as I was putting together the first half of the script, because mm -hmm. I don't think I mentioned this before, but the first half of the script, I wrote more or less in a bubble. Right. This was okay. this had um, this was the things that I talked about before. This was the the motivation, the story idea, and the catalyst. There's no plan or even knowledge about what would happen next. Right. There's no publisher attached. There's no uh, uh, artist attached. There's no dream of it. You know, anything beyond a fleeting dream of it being something that somebody else would ever see. It was yes. it was me at a table with the computer just saying, "I have to tell this." And um, one of the I first ideas as I was learning, you know, thinking about all the comics I had read and, and the research I had done online about structure and pacing and stuff was I liked the idea of, of there being a certain geometric shape and parallels and repetitions um, in the script scene-wise, right? I talked about those crescendos, those repeat and get bigger throughout the story, right? Um, you come, you know, that the, there's a very early page in the book where you actually see those geometric lines and how they connect thematically to uh, lives running parallel to each other and then sometimes intersecting and exploding. And there's a repeat of that when the second half of the book starts. So like it, it was something that helped me think about shape, right? I thought about some of those very simple geometric concepts that I used to teach fourth graders right about simple shapes and the laws that they follow and the kind of order that they give to the universe even if there's chaos swirling around it and i thought well that's a pretty cool idea to to kind of layer that in there subtly and help me structure you know the script um and, and have that kind of keep on coming up and coming up whether it's um, overt or a little bit you know subtext but that's definitely what was on my mind when 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 i started with that yeah Awesome. So Claire's character is sometimes portrayed in a way that really allows you to sympathize with Landon. What inspired her character? And to clarify, is she having an affair? So, okay. Um, 
I've gotten to talk about this a few times because Claire really comes off almost as a two-dimensional villain in the first half of the book. Yes. Um, I mean, you, 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 re- you sympathize with Landon as much as he's kind of walking around as a bit of a sad sack um, because she's very alpha and she's very driven and she's very motivated. She's very ambitious. And it looks like, you know, he's being taken advantage of and he's helpless in her grasp and her powers and her wiles and kind of deliberately cliched. I have a lot more sympathy for her in the second half, because what you realize by the end of the book is as much as it's easy to blame somebody else. And I think this comes back to the kind of the thing that a lot of people can relate to as much as it's easy to blame somebody else for your troubles. Mm -hmm right? And to rationalize, oh, this person is holding me back, or this person did this, and thus I had no choice. If you really look at the state of Landon's life, it is 100% self-manifested, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. He made all the choices to leave music behind, to take the, the, the easier job, to, to do the path of least resistance time and time again. And um, you can kind of see, especially in the second half of the book, as he is nearing his big last crescendo without giving too much away. Um, While he is um, exploring all the people that he has left in his wake, right? His former bandmates, Claire herself, and he's kind of poking around those things, just touching base one last time before he's got to make this big final decision. You can see that like, most of it it's he caused it all mm-hmm. and there's like i mean he left those other dudes behind and then the turmoil that that entered their life as soon as he did that you can kind of see it especially in the second half wearing on claire i mean like i have a lot more sympathy for her in the second half like i said because you know the, the stuff that he's doing and, and and the way he's pursuing this this insane choice he's got to make in his life like i i can and and this is testament to adam ferris's talent as artist like you can see it on her face uh, it's wearing on her. It, it's, it's, and yet she keeps showing up, mm-hmm. right? She keeps showing up every time he does something awful and stupid to himself. Like she's still there, but like you can see that he has caused her just as much turmoil as it appears in the first half that she's caused him. Um, you, be, before we, before we went on air, you mentioned how much you liked the black and white. Yes. And, um, I think, I think there's a bit of like meta commentary in the idea of every single character in this story is so gray. There is no black and white. There is no right or wrong. Like everybody is muddled and gray, which is way more realistic to life than your clear cut good guy, bad guy construct Mm -hmm. that, that I think most of us grew up with, with comics. So is the affair to be, I mean, that's so, so, okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little inside baseball. Um, that was going to be, I wrote that as a little more clear than it was. Uh, okay. There's this, there's, there's a scene um, where, uh, uh, where the detective comes back to Claire's office, like for the second time. And, you know, and, and there, there seems to be a little bit of connection there. Mm-hmm. That scene was a little bit longer and a little bit more overt when I wrote okay. it. And that was an editorial decision. That was something that Bob Sally kind of helped me with. Um, uh, script was pushing a little bit of wordiness in a couple of spots. There was a couple of spots where we could show instead of tell, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, you know, one of his notes to me was like, you've done so well with ambiguity in spot A, B, C, and E. Why did you hit the hammer on the nose in D? Right. I mean, you, you, you trusted the reader with making their own decision about all these other scenes and all these other things in the book. Why are you just being so overt in saying that as she and Landon drift apart, she and the detective, you know, there's a connection made there. Um, And I think, I think if I, I don't think I've ever vocalized this before. I'm so glad you asked this. I, I think if I had to guess, probably somewhere in the back of my brain, almost unconscious was I wanted her to have her second chance too. Okay. Okay. Because I mean, that love, that, that loveless marriage that you see so clearly illustrated in, in, in the first 32 pages. Yes. Guess guess what? It's loveless on both sides. Yeah. It's it's a two way street there. Yeah. Right. I mean, she, I mean, she's just as miserable in that as he is. I mean, we're just seeing it from his perspective, right? Cause he's our, he's our gateway character. But like, I, if I really, if you really press me to it, I bet you that's what I was thinking. It was like, well, I, I kind of want, you know, I deliberately wanted you to see her be a little more sympathetic in the second half and see him being more of the chaos Mm -hmm. agent. But hitting that a bit more clear on the nose was like, well, she might get a second chance out of this too. Um, But, but I, it's not like I disagree with what, what Bob Sally did. Uh, I mean, he's a heck of an editor and a way more talented writer than I am in his own right. And I think it's still the right choice because it keeps with that ambiguity of it, but that's probably what I was thinking there. And it keeps with the open-ended theme of your, of your book. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So what were some of the biggest challenges and struggles you faced creating this? Holy cow. Um, (laughs) Every step. So, so, okay. Being a longtime comic fan and Mm -hmm. a huge uh, uh, consumer of that medium. um, I definitely took for granted, you know, for, for as much as, as waiting from month to month for a floppy can be, or for six months for a trade or whatever. Uh, it's still a lot more instant gratification than it is the production of it. And no more so in indie comics, right? There is there is just inherently more blood, sweat, tears, and time that has to go into indie comics because there isn't the um, the 80 years of infrastructure yeah. that like a Marvel <laughs> and DC has behind it. I'm not saying that every product they churn out is a churned out product. I mean, I know that there's love and affection that goes into those scripts and that are too. Of course yes. there is or we wouldn't love them as much as we do. Um, but there's also this giant apparatus that makes it, that makes the turnaround faster, right? That makes the pushing out in the world faster. And indie comics is, is quite very much the definition of a labor of love. Okay. And so one thing that kind of caught me off guard is how long the process was. From, from typing those first words of the first half to then pitching the script, and, and getting it picked up by Source Point Press and writing the second half and working with Adam and getting it lettered and then all the uh, the promotion stuff and it being in previews and going through Diamond and yet, yet so much self-promotion because it's still small press, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. just create its own. Um, I, you know, that kind of caught me off guard and has definitely given me a, a, a deeper appreciation for the work and time and effort that goes into the process of even creating like your monthly 20 to 22 page floppy, right? Um, I think I was caught off guard. Here's the thing. All the things that caught me off guard, you've got, you've got the, the, the two things that kind of 
blunt that experience, uh, all the difficulties. Number one, like I've mentioned several times now, the, the lack of frame of reference, right? Mm -hmm. the, the blissful ignorance of having never done this before. So I don't, like, I don't know that there's this other path that it might have gone faster or it might have been easier if, because it's the first time. And the other thing that blunts that is, because it's my first time, it's a thrill every single step of the way. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the, the, the fanboy in me, the nerd in me, oh my God, like, okay, the, the last two months were a bit of a slog, but that first page came in, Adam's first page came in and it's like inked. It was mind blowing. And you're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, uh, okay, this big chunk of time goes by and all this effort goes into it. And it's like, wow. And then uh, uh, the great uh, Justin Birch, the letterer, says, do you want to do, do, do a Skype call and watch me letter a couple of pages? And I'm like, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> I've, been hint I've been hinting at it for a while. I'm glad you took the bait. And, he, like, and I get to watch him like, make a balloon that connects to my character's mouth with my words coming out of it. And it was more real than it's ever been uh, in the process before that. And it was the biggest thrill, right? Uh, the, the, the day that I signed the contract, the day that it was in previews magazine and the thing I held in my hands, right? The day the first copy arrived, the day the first picture came through, uh, somebody sent me through my Instagram account and said, here's me with the book and I got to repost. You know what I mean? Like, like as difficult as it was, as long as it took, like every step's been a thrill. And um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna say, I'll admit another major fault of me, myself, um, besides my, my bottling up all my stress and anxiety that I mentioned before, um, I am a very successful pessimist through and through. Um, and I don't know if that's like a double jinx thing. Like I, I love to say, oh, worst case scenario. And I'm not I'm like, you know, it's like, oh, I don't, school career. And as a kid, I'm like, I don't want a snow day. I think it's the double jinx to hopefully that it'll come like that kind of thing. So I'm thinking the worst thing is going to happen. Um, and so my actual flipping that around and my silver lining to how much the pandemic kind of derailed the comic industry, uh, changed the whole release schedule of Parallel. Like some copies came out a little early, some came out months later because Diamond shut down. And, and um, you know, on the negative side, somebody might dwell on the fact that because of the book's release date, every single one of my scheduled signings and conventions got canceled, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to look at that this way. Um, I've enjoyed the kind of incremental delayed gratification of each piece, each bit of thrill during the production process that came along, you know, a couple months in between this big thrill and that big thrill. I still have that in front of me, right? Uh, when the world returns to normal and, and, and we can go back to comic conventions safely, uh, I'll still get to do my first one. Like that's not in the rearview mirror for me right now. So that's like yeah. my little, that's my one little positive spin of saying I, my first con is still in front of me where I'm on the other side of the table and I get to sign somebody's book. So that, that's actually kind of like an uplifting little thing uh, that, that, that I'm looking forward to. Excellent. So you kind of already answered one of my questions. So we'll just finish it off with, can you talk about some of the other people behind Parallel and their contributions to the book? Yeah. So, so SourcePoint Press, I got so lucky. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've actually been chastised in the, pay, in the past from, um, from, from creators saying, be careful how you wield that word lucky, mm -hmm. because you don't want to diminish your or other people's hard work. And I don't mean to do that by that, but I truly, truly believe that I got very lucky because 
Um, my kind of, uh, again, I, I've said this about a, a half a dozen times, like my lack of knowledge led me to putting this out in the world in a very different way than most people do right now. Uh -huh. um, I was so ignorant of the fact that most comics today um, are produced through, you know, crowdsourcing and self-funding, and then maybe a publisher pictures it up and then maybe you just put it out. Um, that when I wrote that first half and I went online and started poking around at different publisher websites, you know, that archaic idea of self-publishing isn't really a thing. It, you've got to find a company. And instead of being discouraged by the fact that just about every website you run into, most of them, the vast majority of companies do not, are not looking for unsolicited submissions, right? And if they are, they definitely don't want your script. They want art. And instead of letting that deter me, um, I went into, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but I'll tell you anyway, I went into my classroom and I, I made paper copies of the first 32 pages and a pitch page, a cover letter, uh, character bios, uh, story beats for the rest of the story, uh, put, put it in one of like, you know, the, from the, remember from classrooms, like the manila envelope, the little file yes. folder, right? The little stack of those, um, with, with little color paper clips from my desk separating it all and i took a stack of them to to my home i took it to motor city comic-con like the, the next available and um i just walked up to i was like the plan was you know i was all nervous and the plan was to walk up to booths that you know weren't just a solo it looked like a publishing company it looked like a small press publishing company and because their booths are always the most gorgeous source point press catches my eye and I'm looking behind this long table at all the people working behind it. And I lock eyes on one gentleman and through kismet or cosmic comic gods, letting me get lucky again. Um, I looked at one, I said, that guy's got a magnificent red beard. That's where I'm going. And it just happened to be Travis McIntyre, who is the co-founder, president and editor in chief of SourcePoint. And that's who I handed the folder to. And like, you know, he kind of looks at me sideways and he's like, are you trying to pitch me a comic? Like, it's, like we're in 1971, like, what is this? But I like the cut of your jib. He takes it home and reads it. I come <laughs> back the next day and he's like, let's do this. It, it, it's funny. He goes, he goes, uh, uh, you can go home. And uh, I'm like, well, I was kind of thinking it might be like three issues. Like, no, it's a 64 page one shot, which means you're halfway there. You can go home and write me the second half, right? And I said, Absolutely. Yes, I can. The same way that like an actor trying to get a role lies and they're yeah. like, you can ride a horse. And they're like, yes, I can. They're like, I've never even seen a horse. Um, and I was like, yes, I can do that. And I was like, I guess I hope I can do that. Um, and, and so like Travis was there from the beginning. Travis found me, uh, Adam Ferris, the artist, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Adam wanted, was looking to do a project with them. Adam was up and coming. Um, and he hooked us up and Travis is what, who put Justin Birch on it. And then, you know, introduce me to a lot of the SourcePoint family. And that's that I do need to say this before I mention a couple of their names. SourcePoint Press is a magical place to work because they are now, as far as teeny tiny indie publishers go, they are a, they're a monster, right? Mm -hmm. Putting out somewhere between seven and 10 books a month in previews, right? Over the last couple of years. Uh, uh, famous on the convention circuit, right? Um, have expanded the business into, into RPGs and... I mean, they, they are amazing, but started as a small family, right? Uh -huh. And continue to operate that way. Um, during the height of the pandemic, when most of our comic shops in this country were shut down, if you ordered a book through SourcePoint Press, 
there was a thing at checkout where um, if you typed in the name of your LCS, 25% of your, the, the monetary equivalent of 25% of your order went directly as a stimulus thing to your LCS. Oh, that's to help amazing. keep them afloat. I mean, this was a this is a relatively small press publishing industry or a company who is trying to keep itself afloat. But because of that, um, that belief in we're all connected and mm-hmm. we're all in it together, and that family mentality, whether it's it's their own creators or their business office or the local comic shops that help keep each other in business and them in business, they were like, yeah, we're gonna, of course, we're gonna help them, right? So I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of great family mentality it is. And everybody was so brilliant. I got to meet Casey Pierce, one of their superstar writers. She wrote the foreword to the book, which is a mind blowing forward, an amazing forward, uh, definitely worth the price of admission. If you ask me in and of itself, uh, I said, Justin Birch on the letters. Um, Bob Sally was my editor who is a fantastic writer and has written some smash hits right now. He's got broken gargoyles out in the world and ogres. And then, uh, Josh Werner is like the creative director and other co-founder there. And he like walked me through all of this he's the one who every time i was close to the edge on something that was about to like give me the meltdown talked me off of it and taught me the ropes about like you know how it's oh this is one last little anecdote this is this is the power of josh warner so he's a heck of a creator himself mm-hmm. but he is he is he's he's a jack of all trades he can do everything but it's not like he can do everything just kind of. He's like brilliant at everything and then finds a way to balance it all. So apparently this happens way more frequently than you would think. And it happens with indie publishers way, way more frequently than you would think. So the day before, or like a couple of days before Diamond goes live, you can see like the next month's stuff in, on the website. And I went and looked, kind of like Googling yourself. And I went and looked to see, you know, when Parallel was in there. And they spelled the name of the book wrong. And they spelled my name wrong. <laughs> so there was no, I mean, there was, there was conceivably no way to find the book. <laughs> like if you typed in the name of the book, you weren't getting to the book. If you typed in <laughs> my name, you weren't getting to the name. And it was like, I, you know, I was like, I was losing my mind. And, and Josh, like as calm as anything, like wrote, He's very famous for uh, the most professional and yet terrifyingly stern letters, right? <laughs> uh, you want him on your side and he like took care of it like that. And most of it was fixed like immediately. And, and then the magazine went out and everything was fine. Um, and, and so like, and he's involved with it too. So, I mean, there isn't anybody uh, at SourcePoint uh, that I have worked with that I can, that I can sing their praises high enough. It, it has been a brilliant experience and, and I, you know, I just hope Parallel does well enough where they'll let me do it again. Hell yeah. I'd love to see it again, man. Truly would. So speaking of Parallel, where can uh, all these lovely listeners go and find Parallel? Well, it's, it's actually never, it's never been easier to get yourself a copy. Okay. Oh. Um, uh, because, you know, once uh, it was supposed to be released in shops that Wednesday before free comic book day. Right. So that last Wednesday in April before the first Saturday in May. And then, you know, Diamond shut down. So uh, SourcePoint sent out their copies that shops had ordered directly from them or people had ordered directly from the website. But then the Diamond copies didn't arrive in those stores until like midsummer. So there are uh, basically three things you can do. If you want to support, you know, if you're interested in the book or you want to support me as a, you know, uh, uh, indie creator or you want to support, 
indie comics in general or small press publishing or you know give back a little bit to to comics because you love comics because like a dollar spent on an indie comic is like a hundred dollars spent on one of the big two it just goes so much further it's what keeps people it, it literally keeps people food on the table you know mm -hmm. and companies in business like every time you buy like a single issue um so you can walk into your lcs and support them they might have it in stock right now right if they don't no fret um diamond and source point are doing refill orders right as we speak so if you walk up to the counter and say uh, i want a copy of parallel uh here's a deal and they're like what's parallel because it's you know what's source point press they don't know <laughs> super easy super easy diamond order code all you got to tell them is diamond order code and it's really really easy write this down it's feb 20 1983 super easy to remember because 1983 is when uh return of the jedi came out and how do you forget that okay bingo um feb 20 1983 they'll order it for you okay now you don't have an lcs you don't have an lcs that's open you don't you know whatever your circumstance is uh or they don't want your business then they won't order it for you you know whatever your thing is um www.sourcepointpress.com and you search it up there and very reasonable shipping rates and they'll send you a copy okay um there are i got super lucky there are three variant covers out there, two of which are sold out. And you Gorgeous. can only find them. Oh, didn't you? Again, like the nerd in me, the fanboy in me, like there was nothing like it, right? When those covers- Oh, when you through, start this, talking this is, variants. Dude, this, right. this is not something I asked for. This, I, I mean, it, it was wonderful. I didn't like, I didn't like, will somebody please make a variant cover of my first comic? No, no, no. Like shops did exclusives and, and they made these incredible covers. So, so two of them are, are sold out and you can, find them on eBay occasionally. All right. But there is one, the first, the, 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 the um, Sanctum Sanctorum comics and oddities garner variants. There's still a couple of copies left. Um, it's a beautiful cover as well. Uh, before those are gone, I've got a direct link to that in my bio on my Instagram page. We will so have like, all the links in the, yeah. Like if you come, Oh, well, I'll tell you this too. If you come and follow me or say hello on Instagram, it's, it's super easy. It's just eight uh, at J Douglas writes, right? You come over and mm -hmm. say hello. Um, Two things I will promise you. I am not a famous person. I will never big time you, right? Not in my interest and not in my personality or in my nature. So you come and follow me and say hello. Um, not only is there a bunch of cool art on there and I can't resist putting personal collection stuff up too. Uh, I'm gonna do a couple giveaways with one of the sold out variant covers and a signed copy of the book in the next few months. There's the direct link in my bio to the, um, uh, to the variant, the few copies left of the, the Garner variant. But if you order a copy of Parallel and it arrives, I want a picture of you in the book. You send that to me and I will blast that out into the world and, and give you a shout out. Also, you've got questions of the book about the book. Like you read it, you got questions or whatever that we didn't answer here today. You just drop into the DMs and you ask me a question. Swear to God, I'm going to write you back. I will never big time anybody. And like the funniest thing happened a couple of weeks ago. There was this dude who was like, oh, I'm so nervous. I, I wanted to ask you this question about this one panel and this one page and what really happened here or what you think it happened. And, and he, I don't want to waste your time or whatever. And apparently I gave such a long answer and kept on talking long. Like that dude literally said, so listen, um, I have to go. Uh, so I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like, like I kept on going. So he was like, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to take your time. And I ended up like making him to the point where he's like, I've got to leave. I don't know why. <laughs> so you want to talk, you come and see me at J Douglas Wright's 
on Instagram and we will, we will talk uh, about whatever. And for as long as you want. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, guys. So go give a, uh, go check them out on Instagram at J Douglas writes, like he said, and go buy parallels. Like I said, lots of uh, project louder employees go, went and gave it a read and they, they love it. I love it. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, hell yeah, brother. Uh, it was nice talking comics with you. Nice talking parallel. And until next time. This was a lot of fun. I thank you very, very much for the opportunity. Um, this was great. Thank you. Yes. So guys, just a friendly reminder that the TJ Bowser Power Hour is part of the Project Louder Podcasting Network. For your source of pop culture and so much more, head on over to projectlouder.net and check out everything we have. So this is your host with the most signing off. Oh, oh pine cones. Oh, these are my favorite. Nutrition. <laughs> <laughs>